Hello and welcome to Comic Book Decalogue, a podcast courtesy of the Comics Journal. My name is Greg Hunter, and on this program we ask the same ten questions to a different cartoonist each time. A fine-tuning of the ideal comics interview. Carol Tyler is our guest for this installment, one of the greats. You might know Carol from her celebrated Soldier's Heart collection from a few years back, or from 2018's Fab Four Mania. Even more recently, she joined Patreon, and you can find her there at patreon.com slash Tyler. But she's been a part of the world of alternative comics for decades, with work in classic anthologies like Weirdo, Women's Comics, and more. Earlier books of hers include The Job Thing and Late Bloomer, which you can also still pick up. Carol is one of those cartoonists with an instantly recognizable style, with such great powers of observation, uh, and a total lack of pretension, too. Just doing funny, thoughtful, heartfelt work for more than three decades. It is truly exciting to close out the show with her. And hey, I'd like to think every installment of Comic Book Decalogue is somebody's first, so if you come upon the show as it winds down, you can find every one of the interviews at tcj.com or in iTunes under the TCJ Talkies feed. Now, I'll mention that in one or two spots during this conversation with Carol, we had some technical difficulties, so you'll hear the simulated horns of the Decalogue theme as a bridge between segments. Uh, But before we get into that conversation... I know a lot of people have been asking, uh, on the last couple of episodes, I mentioned the upcoming release of Comic Book Decalogue, An Incredible Celebration, uh, which was going to be part Blu-ray, part coffee table book. A fun thing for fans of the show uh, that was clearly underwritten by some people who did not have my best interests at heart. The commemorative set has been produced. I do not have access to it, uh, and I wish I was lucky enough to say a spat with my distributor was my biggest problem. But, uh, in fact, I'm going to be lying low for the foreseeable future, uh, as long as I'm unable to make good with certain parties who financed the initial production uh, and who I I almost think expected me to not be able to pay them back uh, or who were at least not very upfront about how many of their collection strategies involve uh, what I guess you'd call violent mayhem. Those of you who pre-ordered An Incredible Celebration, I owe you something of an apology. I was really looking forward to the sets. And those of you who know me personally, uh, if if you're contacted by a large Welshman named Talon asking for my whereabouts, please say as little as possible. He has a a large raptor Talon tattooed on his neck. Uh, So that's it for me. Whether you've listened to the podcast from the start or only started recently, I appreciate it. And everyone who's been a guest, you have my real gratitude. Uh, But before I go, please enjoy 10 Questions with Carol Tyler. Well, the first question on the list is, what's the last comic you finished reading? Did I finish reading... This is a very tricky question. Is that right? Yeah, because um, there's work that's published by my many of the cartoonists that I'm sure you're aware of and that are friends of ours and that I know whose work I like and admire. But I think if you say, what comics did I just finish reading? I have been teaching comics this one class for 14 years mm-hmm. and recently was asked to clear out my office which I think might be a way of saying that the, my day, my days as an educator might be coming to an end at this institution so I have had to go through 14 years of student work uh-huh. <laughs> at first it was five-page works. I had them do one-pagers, five-pagers, mini-comics, and then I got to where I did, uh, for a while they they were doing eight-page comics, and now I'm back down to four pages with smaller, like two-pagers and such. So I've just read 14 years' worth of student work. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. Yes. And it's pretty amazing that they would come into the room and not really know anything other than they liked Batman or they liked something. I don't really know that world. It's terrible and I'd have to deliver the news. <laughs> I don't know anything about super anything. <laughs> Sorry. 
but let me show you the work of, and then I had my list of names of people uh, whose work I thought they should look at, always uh, would put forward to them, as I would say, I know you have your favorites, and when you get, once you kind of enter this world, you're going to see a lot of stuff, but I would always try to encourage them to look at work, people who had had a body of work or had a published maybe more than one mini pamphlet published, you know, mm-hmm. people that have put together a body of work that you would not find in the mainstream. And, I mean, I don't know how many of them in total, you know, retained that or, or stayed in that category, but at least I tried to pry their minds open a little bit wider. And I always ask them to think of telling a story about their own lives, which is difficult. It's getting even more difficult as the the groups have come through as time's gone on. Now, why do you think that is? Do you think it's because they're they're used to, you know, uh, communicating, uh, you know, so much of their lives, you know, through social media day by day that, you know, stepping backward and, you know, having a larger perspective is more difficult? Uh, it could be. I really have opinions about screen time. Uh-huh. How uh, they seem to... I mean, they really want to tell stories about cats and their apartments. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm not seeing a lot of risk or depth. Hate to say that. I mean, there is it's it's there, and a, a lot of kids are doing really good stuff. But just in general, I'm seeing. I don't know if it's because, like, I've talked to. We've had this discussion um, when I get with colleagues and other artists, and those of us who've kind of been around for a while that we're, we are noticing a change in what's out there, what what kids are saying, what they're wanting to express. In some ways, yes, it's very personal, but it's not personal in terms of uh, shocking risks. I mean, there's a, there's a big affirmation community in comics now. There's a big, a lot of, uh, feels like all in this, I don't know how to say it, um, big family, and we're here to support each other. Has the way students respond to critique uh, changed over time? Or I mean, I know I know no one likes uh, you know criticism in the moment, but like, have you seen students like you know collectively, you know, respond differently throughout the years? Yes, I tell them I can't believe it. When I was in college, people would leave critiques crying, in tears, devastated, and people would come in with specific uh, I'm trying to find the right word. In other words, it wasn't about whether I was going to hurt your feelings. It was how the artwork stood up, how it seemed to come across, what your intention is, what you're saying. You know, we would really, really get in there and hash it out. I have to start by saying, you know, I need to what I say professionally, not personally. These are things that I've just learned over time that seem to work. And I bring up intentionality, I bring up focus and clarity, and people now are like, some of the students now are like, I'm attacking them, or they don't like what I say, or I don't know. It's just so hard to describe. There's, I'm sensing that there's a, they're okay with things being okay. And I keep saying, no, pry your jaws open. Reach in there and grab that thing that's driving you fucking crazy, man, and pull it out and talk about it. And it's almost too hard to, to do that. It's almost too much to ask. Sorry, when you mentioned, you know, uh, the interests of your students coming into the class, uh, you know, how much context do they have for, you know, the critique with respect to, say, you know, your legacy in comics? How common is the student who comes in, you know, with a familiarity uh, with your body of work, say? They don't know who I am. And it's almost like for the first time this semester, I actually showed them my work and talked to them about my work. Because when I when they show me what they like, I say, that's not good. <laughs> and they'll say, well, 
it is good. It's like, please, let's talk about what makes work good. Well, I like it. Okay, then it's great. What was that? What else were we going to talk about? <laughs> I mean, I don't know how to argue to that. I don't know how to talk to that. It's almost like these are the things I like, and I don't know that I want to be challenged. And so when I show them my work, I've always held back that doing that because I don't want to say, look at my work. Now you have to try to be to do this level. They can't. They're start starting out. They're young. What I find myself thinking in my mind is I had a desire to connect, to find out what was my expression, how did I express myself, and how do I best do this? Whether I didn't care if it was painting, jumping up and down, storytelling, comedy, whatever. But what is it that I need to, that I want to do, and and it came out for me that I needed to express myself and tell stories, and what was the best way to do this? So for me it became, well, since I can't really make a painting and have it say everything I need to say in terms of the story and I don't want to add a giant piece of text to follow or I just jam up the words and the pictures and I'll tell stories mm-hmm. so that to me it's like you know I found my voice and I don't know uh, the students that I get they say they're interested in comics but then it turns out they really just are interested in their manga comics or they're interested in Batman and I think they sign up for the class thinking that we're going to be almost like a club. And I said, this is not like a fan club for Batman or manga. This is like a way, this is, a, I'm going to ask you to search, to dig deeper, and to suspend your your uh, stereotypes and your uh, what, you're, what you're thinking that you're going to get. Because I'm going to show you artists that you're not familiar with, and I'm going to ask you, to emulate that spirit in trying to reach a little, dig deeper and reach a little higher and find something. Like, yeah, you could go ahead and draw those big eyes and the tiny chin. Go ahead and make a webcomic and do that. And in some weird ways, they might be, like, able to turn that into gold. But I keep telling them, I've got stacks of the same-looking thing. What makes you... And your voice, unique, is what I'm interested in helping you to figure out, to find. And it's almost as if they're like, but I'm already there. <laughs> okay, we're done. You know, it's, I'm frustrated and find it. I love it when I get some somebody who's done something completely unique, original, and whacked out, and they're willing to go ahead and say, oh, you know what? She might be right. Instead of saying, oh, no. I like manga, and I'm sticking with it, which maybe that's a good thing, too, because maybe they know what they want. They know what's good, and and maybe I don't know anything. I don't know. I'm just a girl trying. I'm just a girl trying to tell stories visually. When you have brought in your own work, has that succeeded in giving students more insight into, you know, your philosophy when it comes to comics and storytelling and self-expression? Has that helped uh, bridge the divide you're finding? I don't know, because it, when I, I brought the Hannah story, which is, for anyone who doesn't know, it's a story I did in 1993 or four. I think 94 it was published, and it's about loss and, and remembering. Mm-hmm. And I laid out all 12 pages in sequence on a set of tables so that they could sneak through and read it. And I know it was moving to them because several of them were like getting tissues and I could hear, you know, I could, I I knew it was getting to them and they were reading it and that they were moved. But I didn't see the result in the work. Uh, I mean, let's say pulling, pulling back to the, I mean, the, the question that prompted this conversation, I'm I'm curious also now, does that, (laughs) does that make say, uh, I'm sure just finding the time to read for pleasure is a challenge. Uh, but, you know, when you are reading for pleasure, um, does do you feel that – what am I trying to ask there? You know, Well, there's pressure. They have, they have projects. They have to complete a certain amount of this and that, you know. So they're not going to be able to uh, read comics, just what I provide for them. They have to pick a book and do a report on it, and they don't have time to pass the books around and read them and share and – but then at the, at the same time, I'm going to say this. I'm looking at one class that meets under uh, time pressure for a certain period of time. 
I have no idea. Maybe two or three years from now, maybe sometime in the future, they'll think about something that I said or something they experienced. I mean, I've had students maybe from 10 years ago that'll get a hold of me on Facebook and say, my life's falling apart. What should I do? And I'll say, you know what you should do. You know what I'm going to tell you to do. Okay, I'll start a mini comic today. Uh (laughs) I'll do a one-pager. I just think that it's a something that I give them. I give them in the purest form I can. I can't ignite their interest. They'll, maybe they grow into it, or maybe it'll tumble along into their lives, or they'll find maybe it'll be there when they need it. Because very few people are going to go comics. Oh my God! Now I'm going to be a cartoonist forever. I mean, you don't know with students, and I don't need. To, I don't want to say to give a sense of frustration. Because we don't know, but all I am saying is I'm noticing a different type or a different relationship to content and in students, and diff- which differs from what I noticed 15 years ago or 14 years ago. And it's just different, and we'll see how it manifests itself. Because as time goes on, you know, we're, make- we all- we're all making this up as we go along. Mm-hmm. I just hope that somebody along the way goes oh yeah comics <laughs> and for you does that leave you with any energy to read comics for pleasure yourself when you're outside of that environment or i don't need to engage in comics and i hate to say that i mean i read work i read books i read comic books and i have said in the past that i have an illiterate level on my mind or part of my brain is illiterate because I had so much trouble learning to read as a youngster. But I am very literate, and I'm very visually literate, and I'm literate in other ways as well. So I I enjoy reading and looking at comics. I say looking at them because I do look at the artistry of the work as well as reading the content, and I look to see what kind of comes together and what subjects are of interest. And it's true, it's really hard to find stuff that matters to a person I'm not as interested in someone's work about living with their cat in a dorm on a personal level Mm -hmm. because I mean I love that I can see the person there doing that but I'm just at a different place in my I'm 67 years old (laughs) I have a different set of things that I'm interested in although I don't want to read about baby boomers and retirement homes and all that stuff either. I mean, there's an irk, there's an irk factor ugh, ugh, <laughs> to some of this stuff. I don't have a good answer. I can't really say. I just don't. I don't go to. Um, I go to other places for my wows mm-hmm. and for my eye-opening experiences. Let me ask you, with respect to your tastes now, the second question on our list is, what cartoonist doesn't get enough praise? Understanding, of course, that, yeah, uh, you know, most most nights these days you may be getting getting your wow somewhere else. You know, who's someone whose work you have, you know, experienced uh, in the past and who you think is maybe an unsung creator? I want you to answer that question. Who do you think out there just doesn't get enough attention Said the person who's often <laughs> who spent two decades known as and more or others. Right. Oh, sure. Yeah, I see what you mean. Oh, when I started my career, I was always known as and more. I was. They would name all these guys, and then they would say and more in an anthology, <laughs> or it would say, you know, guy, 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 important guy, important guy, important guy, and more and others, others or more. So I thought, that must be my name. Gee, was hey, it, look, it, put me on the cover. Um, my name is... I need to tell them what my real name is. Was it with the job thing, uh, that collection from the 90s, that you saw that really changing? Or, or is it hard to pinpoint the moment when that that's, uh, stopped being the case? Oh, it was happening. It was happening the first 20 years of my career, honestly. It just happened so often in the 80s and 90s, oh, the 90s. A part of it is because, as everybody knows, we're working on 
shifting and being more inclusive. But there was a time, and you know this is true, that comics were guys, and the big names and the people promoting, the people kind of pushing the buttons and, and doing the things that needed to be done, it was just unconscious. Nobody was trying to be that way. It just sort of came out like that. And so when I came to comics, I came in because I liked the welcoming atmosphere. It was also something that worked towards my where I was at at the time. Like I said, I, I wanted to tell stories visually, so it was a good combination. But there were so many times when I would find myself, it's like, wait a minute, I... I covered this topic, or I did this. You know, I did that 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Or what, who was? How come nobody is listening? I will say, for a while, I was so rattled by the fact that somehow my gender either was getting in the way or not getting in. I, I don't know what. Trying to problem solve. How come? How can I get myself? Maybe the work is just. Maybe it just sucks. I don't know. But let's try. So. I started putting my name as C. Tyler. Right, right. And then after, uh, so I did, um, I think it was Late Bloomer, which was Kim Thompson's idea for a great title. (laughs) Kim Thompson. Love him. And uh, then I was doing it, and finally Kim said, stop putting C. Tyler on your books. Fully embrace your gender with Carol Tyler. And I said, okay. And I was feeling that too. I didn't, that, so you know, because that, that wasn't the thing that I wanted to do. I just kept trying to think of ways to maybe get let the work speak for itself, or mm-hmm. maybe people just saw the work. They would detach themselves from the bias. Oh, it's done by a girl, therefore it's just automatically, I don't know, in a different category. It's hard to say, because if I'm a publisher or editor or whatever... And I'm going to put together an anthology, and I have 50 submissions. There's no way I'm going to put those 50 names on the front cover. And, yes, I'm going to want to lead with those artists who I think might, because of name recognition, be able to help sell the magazine and sell the idea. But at the same time, if if your name doesn't get out there, how can you ever build a following, get name recognition? And I think the Internet and social media and, and that kind of stuff helps to some degree. It's just something that I had a problem with uh, in my career because it's, it started with I wanted to distance myself from being uh, labeled a quote unquote woman cartoonist because I felt like that would make a lot of people turn off and think I was just talking about feminist issues. I'm talking about human, the human condition. And so I tried to then detach. didn't really work. Uh, you know, times change. People and I, yeah, I just think we're, we're at where we're at with things. So I, I really don't know. I'm, there's people out there who are hurting because they feel like they don't get enough uh, airplay. I, I understand that. It's especially hard for those of us who had to stop right in the middle of getting this thing started and raise a family or mm-hmm. as i said at the beginning of late bloomer you get some kind of you have to go to work because the kids need to be fed or you get a disease and you have to deal with the disease you know there's all kinds of setbacks in life i've had my share i've had to meet deadlines uh from a hospital bed mm-hmm. with the world crashing in on me i've had to work when I, especially uh, this is part of the talk I give when I was finishing up Soldier's Heart the last like six months of Soldier's Heart I was in full time caregiving to everyone pretty much who was in the book mm-hmm. <laughs> and having to meet their physical needs and their spiritual need, needs and emotional needs and making sure I was power of attorney on my mom's health care decisions and things like that so I'm having to to do all of that and be, try to be a good daughter and take care of everyone, make sure that things at home are okay and things going on at home that were crazy. And then uh, meet deadlines. I had to get the pages in by a certain time, so I did a lot of the book in these hospital rooms and lobbies and 
schlepping those pages back and forth on the commute to help them and then come back here and clear the there was a drug addict in the house clear the needles off the table so mm-hmm. i could do my work oh god what's the best advice but, you would give to someone who's you know struggling between the demands of their everyday life and this feeling of a calling to be an artist well there's the demands of everyday life that's true and then there's the physical demands of like in my case i had health pro- i've had health problems for a long time and I just have had to train myself not to let that lead with demands. Just have to have faith that there'll be time. There'll be time. We, we're not at this clip. You're, you're not at the clip you are when you got a bunch of kids running around and people are screaming and flipping, flipping out. That doesn't sustain throughout your whole life. Mm-hmm. I think there's pressure on a lot of people like, oh, my God, I'm 30 years old. I haven't had my, I haven't had a big book published. It's like, will you calm down? I didn't even get started until I was like my late 30s. The thing is, it's just a, a, a combination of things. You, you just can't be tripping about stuff like that. Because of the four A's of medicine, we have the opportunity to live longer. So hang in there. Mm-hmm. The four A's of medicine. What are they? Now see if my senior brain can remember. Antibiotics, anesthesia, aspirin, and... Ah! <laughs> I did a, a museum display once on those four. When I had a job, I couldn't do my comics. But I remember the four A's of medicine, or I did until just a moment ago. <laughs> well, we can loop yeah. back to that if you if the fourth one occurs to you. All right, let me ask you uh, another question on our list now. Um, uh, oh, wait, wait. I, oh, please. I finished one. You asked about the pressure and stuff. When mm-hmm. um, I was working on, at the very end of finishing up Soldier's Heart, my dad died. Mm-hmm. I literally, he died like on a Monday. We buried him on a Wednesday. I came back to town. I got a phone call from Fanographics. They said, we need your dad's, a drawing, a nice drawing of your dad for the cover of the book by Friday. <laughs> it's like, Okay. So I just buried my father. He just died. Just buried him. I had two days to knock out the cover. I had no time to like cry or grieve on that one. I had a deadline. So that's sort of the way it always seems to have been. And in our household here, there's always, it's almost like the word goes out, I'm on a deadline. Back up, everybody back off. Uh And that kind of becomes king. (laughs) I'm on a deadline. I'm being serial for three days. Back off. I mean, with your father's so, passing and, and having to draw the cover, having to draw you know his likeness, was that cathartic in any way? Did it feel- I don't have any therapy stuff in my artwork. People have asked me a lot of times about that, and I've thought and thought and thought about that. To me, it's color shape. i got to get a certain attitude, and i got to make it stick. There's a time when I can stop and ponder that and let it cripple me. But there's kind of, you want to talk about a superhero, I had to put on that cape and fly through a lot of this stuff when I didn't feel like I wanted to, but I had to do it. You have to go to these places that are painful, and you just got to get the job done. And then later, there's plenty of later, when some one of your systems breaks down, you know, you have a broken leg or you got a gut problem or you're in surgery, that's when you can weep your way out of all of all the work you need to do. I'm sick. I can't do my work. <laughs> Backlog of shit. You can let it fly then, but you got to meet your deadlines and you just got to work. That's all there is to it. I'm curious now in terms of, uh, you know, maybe not having a notion of the therapeutic effects of doing those comics. I, I am curious, you know, how much of an understanding of yourself you think you've cultivated through doing autobiographical work. You know, have you seen things about yourself reflected in the comics that you maybe had in, in a very intentional way planned to put on the page? At first, I was trying to settle scores when I first started uh-huh. doing comics. I was settling scores. I was trying to get, set the record straight. And I didn't want to be anonymous, like we talked about that. But it, it was like there. And, I, and then I felt like I compelled to log in important, <laughs> I don't know, milestones. Interesting things I'd seen. Then it got to be um, that I felt the need to help interpret with the other. That's what happened with the book 
with my dad. It's not a book. People say, Soldier's Heart. Oh, I don't want to read a military book. It's not about the military. It's about trying to connect with somebody who's impossible. And in, in trying to connect, I found out he's unlikable. He could be very unlikable. And they can have good people. But there are difficult, unlikable people, but you still have to, to reconcile that. And I got tired. I'm tired like... I had a shift. I'm, I'm concerned about the other, and I'm concerned about relationship. Everything in life is relationship. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I'm not talking about, I'm in a relationship with somebody. Guess what? You're in a relationship with your world, everything in it, and how your relationship to time, your relationship to food, to your pets, to neighbor, to yourself, to your hair. I mean, it's endless. So be doing the comics, as for, at first, I had an axe to grind for a really critical need to, to almost like put a stake in the ground and saying, I existed, and these things happened, and it's important, you better pay attention. Now, the work, the, the work I'm doing now, it's the hardest stuff I've ever had to do because and I, I don't want to talk about myself, but yet I have to tell, finish out the stories there's a gigantic chunk of story I'm working on now. And so, of course, it's more like in the vein of what I was doing in Soldier's Heart, where I was observing and being with people and trying to tell that story that's important. But at the same time, I'm finding it very difficult because it's going to be the closure of relationships Mm -hmm. with certain people. And the way in my relationship to comics, so it's a kind of a closure. I'm not going to be doing it this way anymore. You know, I want to do, there's a part, it's a three-part thing, different from Soldier's Heart, but it it is kind of a three-part thing where I have to go deeply into a, a certain state of being, and then I have to really tear stabs off and bleed it all again. Uh huh. And then, and then get through that, and hopefully that when people read this, they will feel like, oh, this is what this is how it can be to go through something like this, so that it matters more to the reader than to me staking a claim in some kind of fictitious turf. You know, hey, I'm here, I'm an artist, I'm a cartoonist. Be, watch for me. You know, I'm I'm coming up. It's less that and more of a gift, not a gift, but just something where people can say, oh, I needed to read this. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. You know, you you mentioned relationships, and I'm curious about a relationship between you and comics and your younger self. Um, You know, one question we like to ask people on here is, if you can send one comic back in time to yourself at age 14, you know, what is that comic and why? Well, let's see, at 14, I was a freshman in high school, and I'd just seen The Beatles, and you know I wrote a book about that. Fab Four Mania for the reader, or for the listener. Great gift, by the way. (laughs) Plugging away. Uh, at 14, it's hard to say. It was a different. It was a totally different time back then. So if you're asking for something now to go back then, that's quite a stretch, because we're talking about 1965. What comics are being made now, or what I might think works now, that would go to then? Because comics were not, I was not interested in that as reading material at that time. So to have just the idea that there would be a comic that had relevance to me as a person, maybe spoke to something I was going through, or because comics at that time were about you know people who were not of this world and they had extra powers, and so the whole thing was super or. Not only super, but fictitiously romantic comics or funny animals or things like that. And so I just found that was a, that wasn't my takeoff point. I've heard people say, oh man, well I got my first, I got my hand on that first Steve Ditko. 
Is his name Mike Ditka? Steve Ditka. Mike, Mike Ditka. Mike, Mike Ditka, I think, was never never put pen to paper that way. <laughs> I'm a terrible person when it comes to I can't I'm teaching comics and teaching the history of comics, and I'm saying Mike Ditka. <laughs> <laughs> That's football, Tyler. I don't know. That's a hard one to say. Uh, if I was 14, like a year ago or something like that, I'm sure I'd be grabbing some of the titles that are out there. But I don't know. I was so into music. That's what mattered most. <laughs> well, here's another way of asking I that really question. I really like... <laughs> Is, uh, yeah. Let's say, you know, among your contemporaries in uh, anthologies like Women's Comics or Twisted Sisters, uh, are there any, are any pieces? How about throwing a Twisted Sisters at that girl? <laughs> that had been pretty shocking. <laughs> yeah, are there pieces from that you could recall that you, you know, you remember seeing and thinking, wow, I wish I'd seen this, you know, 10, 20 years ago? I never had that thought. I have never had that thought because I feel like the past unfolded as it had to based on what was there. And because I spend so much of my time as a writer and as an artist thinking about the past and what it means, like for example, when I did Fab Formania, I was really, really clear in the outset that I was not gonna make this into nostalgia or something where, um, you know, it seemed like, oh, let's look back at Blah, you know, it needed to feel vital and of the times. So it was, it's hard for me to say, yeah, you know, Twisted Sisters, I would never have read it because I was a good Catholic girl. If I'd seen the Twisted Sisters, it came out in the 90s when I, it was 1965. It, it just, it, it wouldn't have been a fit at all. It wouldn't have worked. So that is such a hard question for me. Well, I think I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense in terms of the you know the past could only have been the way it was you know and you're the sum of your experiences. Uh, I have a question for you when you're talking about uh, you know creating Fab Four Mania, conveying a particular feeling, a particular sense of the time. How much do you think about you know the reader in that moment, or or when you're making a comic in general? I think about the reader more now than I used to. I think. The circle widened. You know, at first, I didn't think that people beyond maybe comics or a small fan base, I mean, I always thought I had a faithful 500 fans out there Mm -hmm. during my weirdo days, and maybe there was 500 people who would read it, but I didn't think that, I think they were just, I was hoping that they just appreciated the comics because I was trying to tell a good story, although I was also trying to get my, licks, my digs in on people right. that I felt. <laughs> I love the revenge focus of these early pieces from what you're yeah, saying. definitely. I wanted to, like, mm. <laughs> but I don't feel like that. I don't do that anymore. So now I'm thinking there will be a looking at a person's body of work. And t- time, like I mentioned, the critics and the historians and all that, they will look at the, the whole of your your work. People still talk about how much they love the job thing. And I understand the vitality and the voice I used and that I put into that. That was back before the Internet. So my sense of what the world was was uh, smaller, Mm -hmm. a lot smaller. than now, when I think that this book, like Soldier's Heart, I do not. There's people out there. I have no idea. I have no idea what that circle, the edges of that circle, the, the breadth of that, the width. And anything I do now, I'm under the delusion that somehow that circle will increase. But I do know this. There's a finite number of stories I'll be able to create in my life. Because, yeah, I'll fall off the cliff. And so I'm concerned about that the wholeness of my statement as a person who lived on this earth, that it resonate in a certain way saying exactly what it is I was trying to say. So it's not a matter of trying to put in a stake, like I said, for my place in history, but to be able to to be read over time, way past the time I'm gone, so that people can read and enjoy, and it feels like you are at the place with me. It's like for Fab Four Mania, in 50 years, you should be able to get the sense of that enthusiasm that I felt. I really wanted that book to have that feeling. You're there. It's 1965. You're waiting. You're excited with me to hear the greatest man that ever was. So that enthusiastic thing was my goal. 
and it's in there. But with some of the other work, especially the work I'm working now, it will call upon people in a different way to join me for a different perspective, a different place. In terms of responses to your work, is there one work in particular that has garnered the kind of responses that make you think this was was the comic or these were the comics where, you know, I was most effective in, you know, being seen and having that communion with the reader? Have you found, you know, a range of reactions or that there's kind of like a, a baseline relationship now that you have with readers? I don't know. And I'll tell you why. You work in a vacuum in your studio at home with the dogs and every day I have to start over because I don't know. people will say, oh, I like this. Great, I love your work, or something like that. And there's 50 more sales, but there's no way of knowing what really is the the resonating chords or what really, like, have I I gotten past those folks who are going to naturally want really good graphic novels? Have I reached past that? Like, I really, really wanted to reach veterans who suffer from PTSD with Soldier's Heart Mm -hmm. and the families. Because I think they would gain to know that a person can be kind of be having that and yet still be loved and embraced by the family and still yearn for, you know, still still yearning. My dad was yearning for resolution, and he never got his resolution. But I, I continue that for him. Mm-hmm. That relationship is important for people that have family members with PTSD. But... <laughs> I just think it's stupid that people say either, oh, well, it's not too, it's not enough pro-military, or it's not too much uh, anti-war stuff. I don't care about her. I don't want to hear about her life. I just, I like reading the parts of the tour of duty. I keep asking people to stretch it up a little bit, widen it up, because no experience, you, you can't really tell a story that's just, just like that. Or maybe you can. I don't know. Something I don't know. I I like to make it a little bit more dimensional than that. And so, no, I didn't write a history book. No, I didn't write a psychology book. No, I didn't write just a book about this or that. I call upon people to get into the wider place of thinking about those interconnections. And I no, I don't know who, who people are. I don't know. Sure. Well, you know, I do think it's the duty of a good reader, too, to meet a work on its own terms. You know, it's un- and it's unfortunate when people can't do that. Oh, I think I have people who have expressed how much it means to them. And I, I know who they are, many of them. And I do appreciate that kind of expression of their appreciation for what I did. And I'm very happy that I was able to do that. I'm mm-hmm. happy whenever anybody says, I love your work. It's like, thank you, really, because... It is so lonely when you do comics, especially, or any kind of writing. It's worse for comics and graphic novels and cartooning because you work alone. You're going to write a book. It's good. Oh, I, I read these authors. are like, I spent four months in a cabin by myself. Well, yeah, <laughs> with graphic novels, we're talking about four years minimum <laughs> in a cabin by yourself. <laughs> Well, let me ask you, between, uh, you know, loneliness and the time commitment and family commitments, I, I often ask on here, what's the closest you've come to quitting cartooning? Well, that's not an option for me. Uh-huh. If I quit, it's like, what are you doing? You know, at a certain point, I came to the party. I pick, finally figured out after years of struggling in my late 20s, early 30s, and finally it all came together. Oh, okay, I'll tell stories and I'll use pictures and I'll... I'll use some of the comics rules to make that happen. I'll go to that place. So that's who I am. Why would I quit? Mm-hmm. That's, I've come close. I have had, I mean, we come on, we've all had to quit. I just said with certain eras or certain demands of raising a family and things, but it's never been a complete quit. It's just been looking at the drawing table saying, oh, I can't get to work. <laughs> The work has never said, okay, we're done. I've never said, we're done. Okay, we're done here. And I've, I've said to some people, I'm going to do one more comic and then I'm done. It's like, Tyler, you're so stupid. You can't be done. You're never going to stop. You know that's true. I, there will be other manifestations of the telling, of the telling of the story. But I'm not going to quit. I'll tell you what, money infusions help <laughs> great deal. I can imagine. I love that. And I need a tractor. 
because when I, I need to mow, never mind, that's farm talk. <laughs> I have a huge idea, a great idea. My next, the one I'm working on now that's difficult to do, that's like asking the impossible. If I have to do it, like it or not. There's also a huge physical sculptural component to the book. Oh, wow. Piles on, Tyler. Yeah, I got an installation in my head, a great one. And so I'm going to be working on a piece of that. I've got this at the farm. I have a big empty space in this barn. It's like, okay, so I'm going to build the... I'm not going to give it away. <laughs> yeah, you can. you got, you got to keep that sure. under lock and key. It's going to be uh, interesting because I want to ha- that you can read the book. It'll eventually be this book. You can read the book, my latest book, but at the same time, it's this giant uh, sculpture installation. You know, when I finished uh, Soldier's Heart over at the school where I teach, they offered me an art show. Some people have seen the video. If you go to Vimeo, Vimeo, and you type in Pages in Progress, Carol Tyler, mm-hmm. it's a little well done, super well done, four-minute video about this art show. And what it was was that I thought I had a room, and I told the curator I always hang my artwork on clotheslines because I'm not framing 364 pages of art. Right. So we decided that to keep the people from touching them, that we hang the clotheslines up high uh-huh. with the artwork there. And so I, I was like, and so, okay, this, I met him over this. will be great. And he said, so what are you going to do with the other room? I said, what? Two rooms? You're giving me this other room? And I thought, holy God. And then I right away knew what I wanted to do. And I love that because it, it's something I've always liked doing is creating installations. I don't really have, haven't had much time to do that. If any get, anything gets short shrift, it's my gallery presentation work. But with this next one, it's like, okay, Tyler, the terms are you're going to do the art show. I mean, you're going to do the book. And then the art show accompanies it. There must, this must be somewhere. And it is significant. It requires building some large sculpture things and some elements and also large mural type paintings. So I'll be busy for a while. It sounds like it. All right, here's a question for you. You know, as a comics lifer and, and someone who has been doing this and keeping busy for so long, you know, what's the best advice you've heard about making comics? Well, I'll have to say Justin told me that once. Uh, I would go to him and say, uh, you don't pay any attention, you know what? We don't have any money in the bank. Let's think of another one. Uh, I, I haven't slept in days. Uh-huh. How about, I wish I had a job. Or, we're out of milk. His answer was always the same, just do your work. And I have. I've always circled back, no matter what, to just sitting there and just doing that work. It's the only thing that makes sense. All the crazy shit that's going on, you sit down, you do your work. Just do it. And I got this mantra thing going several years ago where I'd say, draw no matter what, draw no matter what, draw no matter what. Because I found myself having to do that through illness, like I said, surgery earlier, through people being sick. There was a time when I, just before I started Fab Form Mania, I had some kind of virus thing and broke out in a rash. Justin had a show and they were doing a binky show in Portugal and we were asked to go over there. And on the plane on the way over, my legs were covered with a rash. When I got over there right away, I had a fever. Mm -hmm. And then it felt like, you know, we were going to restaurants and all these, you know how it is when when you're in a foreign country and different food and I just wanted to go back and sleep. Then it felt like someone had really punched me hard in the shoulder. So when I came home, I went to the doctor because I had rash, fever that would not stop, and a pain in my shoulder, which had then gone to my neck, and I couldn't move my shoulder or my neck. And by the time I got appointment, got to the doctor, I couldn't move my shoulders, my neck, uh, one leg, one arm, and I walked in there, and I had to have crutches. And she was like, oh, my, let's see if we can figure out. She did all these blood tests. And it came back some big markers for an infl- inflammatory condition. 
but he tested me for everything under the sun and then it was as if this thing went through every joint in my body at one point i was laying on the bed trying to move my toe mm-hmm. and i thought i gotta be able to draw i can't have this i can't live like this so i thought of scripts i thought of all this stuff in my head i just my eye lock my eyelids remove it uh-huh. <laughs> remembering and thinking i lost about mm, 10 pounds and when I kind of came to and around with that, I think actually that was before I finished Soldier's Heart. I think it happened in 2012 or 13 or something like that. It just kind of wrecked me for a while, but then I had to just get back to work. As you get older, you cannot get out of here without a bunch of shit thrown at you physically. So you couple physical possibilities and financial things and just get being down about yourself. You just name it all. It just comes at you. And it's the stakes are high for cartoonists because you have to work it out at your drawing table pretty much in poverty by yourself. It's just you have to be a certain type of person to just say, fuck that. I'm just going to have to do it. I don't care. Okay, well, how do you balance the commitment to doing the work versus, say, the injuries that can result from being a cartoonist, you know, like back injuries or, you know, wrist injuries. Has that ever been a problem to you in trying to, you know, maintain your commitment to the work? Yeah, I was doing a, it has. I, had, I was doing two giant, for one of those fanographics um, themed, remember they had those theme magazines for, back in the 90s or something, telling a story about my grandparents, and I, I had this coming. I had leaned my neck over a table for an entire weekend doing a very detailed, oversized comic page on illustration board. Mm -hmm. And I ended up with, of course, uh, couldn't move my arm. I couldn't lift it up or down. Couldn't push it out. It was stuck. It was stuck in the drawing position in your hand. Oh, my gosh. When you're fighting. It was stuck. And it it was like, ow, ow, ow. (laughs) I couldn't move it. And I had to go to the emergency room, and they... They said, you have de Quervin's tenosynovitis, <laughs> which means that you have an inflammation of the nerve that runs from, I don't know what you were doing. I said, holding a pencil. <laughs> they said, you can't do that motion anymore. It starts in your neck, see, between C4 and C5. You've irritated the nerve. So I had to go have therapy, and they figured out all these exercises and things like that that I've had to do. And over the years, I still have this problem. I have to stretch out. I have to do this and that. I've had to do all kinds of ergonomic accommodations, tilting my table. I have to wrap wads around my pencils and brushes and stuff like that. And if I don't, there's help to pay because it still bothers me. And I'm starting to have it in the other side because I've been slacking. Who wants to go through all this shit? I just want to do the work. But it's really imperative that you take seriously, especially if you're thinking of the long haul. Mm-hmm. You have to take care of the physical body or you'll be sitting there blinking your eyes with the greatest stories in your head and never be able to get them out. What? I mean, I've had the great happiness of uh, relative. I haven't been into ditch poverty. I mean, I've had, I've been okay and have infrastructure issues and a few health issues. And I see aging's problems coming, but I've somehow figured out how to work work through it, work it out. With, you know, the, the costs of cartooning in mind, um, you know, the eighth question we usually ask on this list is, you know, what's the worst decision you made as a cartoonist? Mm, I don't know. Because they're just all decisions. I don't regret anything. I never... Oh, well, there's one thing. I wish I hadn't put shitty, the word shitty on the cover of the job thing. Do you think that was a a barrier to entry for some people? I think it made it seem too... It was entry level. You know? Like when I I do my slideshow and I'm showing... I was at the Library of Congress. Mm -hmm. How cool, huh? Yeah, it's awesome. I didn't show the job thing because of the word shitty on the cover. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, wait a minute, I'm at the Library of Congress. If my sister was alive, she'd be jumping up and down, so excited for me and so proud. Here I am. My parents would be proud. You're proud of your daughter with her shitty book? (laughs) It just was like a personal thing where it was like, okay. eh, uh, My sister always used to say, like, why do you have to cuss? It's like, 
I don't want you putting your like church lady stuff on me or she used to be a nun or something like that. I don't want this like editing. And then I got to where it's like, I know I'm very intentional with when to use a word. You don't just throw the F word around. Mm-hmm. You don't show, throw sex scenes or boobs hanging out when they're not warranted to tell a good story. You got to know <clears throat> that these are specials and you don't run the whole thing on specials. There's the, the, the main nutritional meal. You go for that, gotcha. the balance. And so I would tell, I got to where I was telling people, well, wait, wait a minute. What do you want? My dad was a plumber and he was in the army. Of course I'm going to cuss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just kills me. I, I cuss a lot, but as I have learned is that it's got to be at the right time, the right place, with the right person saying it. Now, I want to talk about uh, Fab Four Mania for a second, because ordinarily the ninth question on this list is, you know, what work from another medium has influenced you the most? But you've mentioned music already, and with the Beatles in particular, I was curious, you know, when you decided that, you know, you wanted to combine, you know, that part of your life, you know, that, that passion of yours with cartooning and, and have it be your follow-up project to Soldier's Heart. Well, I mean, there's music, obviously... The songs. I mean, how can you talk about the Beatles and not talk about the songs, which is what I do all throughout the book. And what was so cool about this book was I did not plan at the beginning. You know how in the chapters, the little little entries, there'll be a song title like, there's a place. So I'd write, there's a place on the office supply label thing to cover up my dad's uh, letter logo letterhead that I got stuck using. Mm-hmm. So, of course, when I was doing that book, what turned out, I didn't plan it this way, but every single song that they came out with from the time I first became aware of them, they're at the beginning through help. There's this X number of songs, and it turned out those were exactly the number of little chapter things I had, the little entries. Oh, wow. So it was a perfect... Yeah, I had no idea. I didn't plan it that way, but as it was happening, I, I noticed it. I was like, oh, my God, this is going to work. This is so great. <laughs> I didn't know if I'd have to dip into uh, Rubber Soul a little bit, but I didn't have mm-hmm. to. All right, but when I talk about music as, as an influence, I'm not talking about it in that sense. I mean, of course, I have always been rocked by music, all types. I think what I'm referring to, though, is that I see music – and I realize comics the way I think some people understand and sense and express it through music. Like I see movements and tempos mm-hmm. and a sense of uh, thematic elements. I see like that this could be this is a note that runs through and that this is a phrasing. And I don't I don't know music enough except from music appreciation class, but I know enough to say that the way that music is structured is what somehow comes through when I'm doing my artwork. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So sometimes I'll think this needs a beat or that mm-hmm. this this is this is waltz. This is a boom 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 <laughs> boom, 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 boom boom So maybe the people are talking like this. Boom boom boom. Or maybe it's do 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 ba da da ba ba da do 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 da and maybe that's a page. I've just said a bunch of rhythms to you or beats, but maybe that's the thing that it needs to be in order to say it the way it needs to be said. So it's more like composing music. It's as much about composing music. And in another sense, this is crazy, it's also about space and architecture. Sure. So there's times when I feel like there's a roof, when there's no roof, when there's a carport, that it's a kitchen, that it's out in the middle of nowhere, that it's grass, it's near grass, it's open, it's sm- it's verdant, or that it's um, uh, empty, you know. But that these things all have to do with the architecture of the way the world is constructed as well as buildings. So I'm very aware of space, architecture, and music in the sense of that this is how I really come around to putting together the comics. 
No, that absolutely makes sense because I think in your your comics there's both a sense of you know a larger design, but also the ability to you know vary the tempo from page to page, uh, you know, and, and observe different arrangements, different tones within one page yeah. compared to another. Yeah, I'm not conscious of it though. You know, I don't say, "Oh, here I am on page 57." Now let's see if I can't get a waltz going. <laughs> It doesn't work like that at all. It's just that if there's something in the way that you tell a story, you know how, come on, you know how people talk. There's people that up, speak about everything, and they're going to raise it up at the end of everything, or they are they gravel talk, or they're going to be talking like talk like that. <laughs> so there's like, those are ways of putting that together. So all I'm saying is, I think it's just something, as I'm looking for the way that this thing, the thing needs to be said, if, you know, if the guy is saying, you son of a bitch, okay, that's going to have a... <laughs> and then does that fit? And I'll say, is that to where, where I want to place it? And then maybe the resolution is... Or the resolution is... I don't know. So it's just something, it's almost like it composes itself as it, as it goes along. It kills me when people say, do you write a script? Yeah, I write a script, and then I say, okay, now I'm on this page. I'm no, I don't write a script. I write an overall, I have an overall sense of what it is, and it's all about the composition and the discovery of composing this piece as I get into it. I, I, I think that's why I never got a New York publisher, because they want that script written mm-hmm. out. Maybe I should just write a script and say, here it is. Ha-ha, <laughs> chumps. <laughs> I know I'm not going to follow that. All right, let me ask you uh, the last question on our list now. It's something of a departure. Aliens have made contact with Earth, and they seem benevolent, but we still want to make a good impression. You've been selected to introduce them to comics. So what do you show them first? Is is that Radiohead song, Aliens, playing in the background? (laughs) Will it meet my fantasy criteria of being in... In the middle of Indiana on a flat area, and then here comes this beautiful ship, and there they are. <laughs> yeah, it hey. sounds like sounds like you've, you've been there before. I'll tell you what you should look at, because we're not stupid here on Earth. <laughs> We've been checking out this guy. The man, he's a man of steel. <laughs> he's from Krypton. If you've heard Krypton, say you've heard Krypton. <laughs> At least give it to us that we tried to understand what's going on with you aliens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. There's nothing that represents what has to be what would have to be said during that time. Wait, am I in a car and my car is loaded with comics? <laughs> and as I'm driving along, there's the spaceship. As I'm listening to Radiohead, would it be something like that? Would that be the scene? Yeah, you know, I was expecting something more more ceremonial, but I kind of like the idea of comics just flying out of your car window as the aliens pass Wait, by. I just got laid off my job teaching at the university. She said, get your stuff out of the office. We need a real professor to use that space. So it's like, fine. And I go get my mountains of comics <laughs> that I have in there, anthologies, the big book the big kramer's ergot seven that you can't fit you know that's got the lay on top <laughs> how about the mini comics how about the thousands of comics people have given me at shows over the years i'm talking about a maybe an eight person van full of all the books comics and stuff that i've collected over the years that i love all of it and there i am driving across Indiana, it's bleak, but there's that song from Radiohead, and there's that beautiful ship, late at night while I'm traveling, (laughs) and the dude gets out, and I get out, and they'll be like, take me to your leader. (laughs) Really? Is that what you're going to say after all this, take me to your leader? Well, why don't we start with Krypton? Let me see if I can find an origins of Superman in this pile of stuff. 
<laughs> which will prove that we've been trying, we've been on this alien thing for a while. Yeah, you know, I think you're the you're the perfect ambassador then, because if that doesn't work, you've still got Kramer's air got to show them next, and they'll be wrangling with that for a while. Yeah, that's true. All right, well, thank you so much, Carol, for talking to me. This was awesome. Wait, I want to say I hope I didn't hurt anybody's feelings. I hope that there was nobody that was disappointed, and I just hope that everybody's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Carol. Thank you for taking the time to do this, Greg. I really appreciate it.